Uh, We are continuing in our series of kingdom vision as it pertains to our household. And today we are going to focus on spouses. So let's have God's Word open us up to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 to 23. This is the Word of the Lord. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and treasures it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Good morning. Um, When I was uh, 17 years old, I had a personal encounter with Jesus, and that radically changed my life. And when I became a Christian, one of the first questions I began asking was this, how does being a Christian change the way I do family? The reason why I started asking this question was because the deeper I got into the Christian community, the more Christians I've uh, started to hang around and the more relationships I started to build, the more I started to sense a disconnect between family life and church life. I sensed this disconnect even among people whom I considered to be mature Christians, uh, my mentors, even pastors. So I saw the gospel, it was able to penetrate and bring transformation, bring reconciliation to a lot of different areas of life, to one's careers, to friendships, to one's habits. But for some reason, I noticed that the gospel always stopped stopped short of the family. I recall a more seasoned and mature Christian uh, at this point in my life distinctively telling me, he said, Uh, Stephen, the home is the hardest place to practice your faith. It's easy to live out the gospel with people at church, people you only see once or twice a week, but doing that with people you see every single day, with people who have been on the receiving end of your hypocrisy and your sins, now that is difficult. You know, the vision statement of our church is to see the kingdom of God come into our homes, into our communities, and the world. And what we mean by that is we want to see gospel transformation take place not just in the mission field 
We want to see gospel transformation take place, not just in our communities through acts of mercy and evangelism, but we really want to see the gospel start to penetrate into our homes and transform and inform our relationships with our parents, our siblings, our spouses, our children. Now today, we're actually going to explore our relationship with our spouse. And before we do that, I just want to give one qualifier before we start. I understand that not everyone here in this room is married. But I assure you, this message is still for you. And just three reasons. Number one, if you're not married but you plan on getting married in the future... Hopefully, this message will inform your view of marriage. Okay. The second reason why this message is for you, regardless of your marriage perspective, whether you intend to get married or not, the implications for this passage extends beyond spousal relations and informs how we view and treat people, especially people of the opposite sex. And third, while this passage is about human marriage, At its core, it's ultimately about the marriage between Jesus and the church. And so, regardless of your status, this message, Ephesians 5, is for you. Now, as we get into this passage, today, uh, this passage that we've read is a well-known one. You probably have heard it before, you've studied it before, you've used it before, and maybe you've abused it before. But this morning, I want to allow this passage to uncover three common misconceptions that we have regarding marriage and our relationship with our spouse. The three common misconceptions I want to uncover, uh, I framed it as a a dichotomy, and it's this. Number one, uh, spouse versus saint. Number two, submission versus love. And number three, suffering versus joy. And I'm going to flesh this out uh, throughout the message. So the first common misconception or the false dichotomy that we draw up in marriage is spouse versus saint. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, if we look at the passage, uh, verse 22, it begins in this way. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Now, usually we start with this verse when it comes to marriage and teachings about marriage, but this verse should actually be read with the previous verse. If you look at the previous verse, what Paul does is in addressing the entire church, Paul says this. He says, be filled with the Spirit, verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So he says, first, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That goes for everyone. We ought to submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. And then he goes into specific instructions on spouses. Now, I'm going to be a bit technical here, and and please, you know, I I hope I don't lose you, but if you look at the actual syntax, right, I have uh, in the next slide, this is uh, an interlinear version Uh, But if we can look at the next slide, I have uh, the Greek and the English uh, word to word so we can see this. But if you look at verse 21, it says, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ or out of reverence of Christ. And then in the very next verse, it actually says, wives to your own husbands as to the Lord. 
In other words, the verb of submitting is actually only found in verse 21, and it's not found in 22, meaning that there is an intricate relationship between verse 21 and verse 22. In other words, we ought to read the command, wives, submit to your husband, in light of verse 21. We all should submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. Now, I know verse 22 on its own, people have trouble with it. Um, You know, some might find this to be really uncomfortable, especially in today's day and age. We might find this command to be antiquated. Uh, For women, we might find this to be oppressive. The Bible is telling us to submit to our husbands? No way. But this verse is actually derived from the general command for everyone to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is also the case with husbands. If you look at verses 25 and 28, it says this, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, you should love, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Now again, on its own, we think, well, you know, husbands are commanded to love their wives. But if you go back to Ephesians 5, 2, here's what it says. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. If you look at these commandments, these exhortations, they are extremely similar as they're both grounded in Christ's love for us. So the motivation and the impetus is what? Jesus loves us, therefore, what should we do? Chapter 5, verse 2, we should love one another. We should love everyone in the church. It's what we're supposed to do because of what Christ has done for us. And then more specifically, in verses 25 and 28, we ought to love, husbands ought to love their wives. So if you look at the context of these commands for wives to submit and husbands to love, they're actually not exclusive to husband and wife, right? These commandments to love and submit are things that we all should be practicing inside the church. You know, I think this paradigm really exposes the false dichotomy that we've drawn up in our heads between spouse and saint. You know, when you get married, your spouse, that person, is still your brother and sister in Christ. He or she is still a saint. He or she is still a member of the body. In addition to that, that person becomes your spouse. But at the core, at the core, he or she is still your brother and sister in Christ. See, that's why the same exhortations apply how wives ought to treat their husbands, how husbands ought to treat their wives, the same exhortation applies for how we ought to treat one another in the church. Just as you love and serve your brothers and sisters, we ought to do the same for our spouse. See, the difference between spouse and saint is priority, it's degree, it's quantity, but not quality. He or she is your spouse in addition 
to your brother and sister in the faith. What are the implications for this? I think they're quite radical. You know, what we should be thinking is, first, do we treat our spouse with the same level of understanding and patience as we do the members of the church? Or vice versa, if you're married, do you still continue to love and submit to other brothers and sisters in the body of Christ? I admit, I err on both sides. Oftentimes, I treat my wife less than a congregate. I'm less understanding towards her. I'm less patient towards her. I'm less willing to bear with her mistakes. But on the other hand, I also make the excuse that because I'm married, because I have a master now, right, because I have a wife, she's my responsibility, I have to love and submit to only her as if that absolves me from my Christian duties of loving my fellow brothers and sisters. You know, I once had a relatively new married couple share with me their struggles. The wife uh, felt mistreated and uncared for. Uh, She said specifically, you know, my husband treated me better when I was just his Bible study small group member. (laughs) She said, you know, he would be so considerate to me He would, you know, give me his jacket and give me rides and genuinely ask me how I'm doing. But now that we're married, he treats me less than his small group member. And she said jokingly, you know, I want to go back to just being, you know, a small group member. Now, before you're quick to critique this individual, right? You know, before you start, you know, critiquing this person, you know, start taking credit for something that you should be doing, right? You know, strangely, you know, Chris Rock comes to mind, right? I love my wife, right? Taking credit for something you're supposed to do, right? You have to ask, have you, on the other hand, neglected loving and submitting to your brothers and sisters in the church? You see, in this way, we can have a very low view of marriage, right? Where, you know, we think, you know, our our spouse is less than a Christian brother or sister, or we can have this idolatrous view of marriage where we only love and only submit to our spouses and we neglect the body. See, the proper view is that we see our spouses as covenant marital partners in addition to being our brother and sister in the faith. The difference is in quantity, not in quality. Your husband is more than a brother in the faith, but he's certainly not less than a brother in the faith, and vice versa. And so, the, the framework that we should have is everything that we are called to do for our brothers and sisters in the faith, we are called to do for our spouses. The difference is, with our spouse, we can't be selective, Our spouse is our ultimate sanctification partner. I know within the church when we're called to love and bear with one another and forgive and serve, we can do that rather selectively with people that maybe we like a little bit more than others, or uh, we can do that selectively with our time. You know, I'll just do that on a Sunday morning. I'll deal with this person. I'll put up with him or her. I'll submit and I'll love. But, you know, Monday through Friday, I'm not going to do that. You know, with spouses, we actually can't be selective. 
The command to love and serve each other is one that we can't restrict. And so a spouse is basically your brother and sister in the faith that you're tied to forever, your ultimate sanctification partner. You know, for those of you who are unmarried and you're looking to get married, uh, let me just share two practical nuggets of wisdom uh, before you decide to pursue a relationship with someone. If we take these principles and really put them into practice, I think there are two things that I can draw from. First, before you pursue a relationship, see, examine, observe how that potential candidate interacts with other brothers and sisters in the faith. Right? With people that he or she doesn't have a romantic interest in, is that person loving and submitting to other brothers and sisters genuinely out of reverence for Christ? If that person only loves and serves those whom he or she has a romantic interest in, I think that's a red light, a red flag. So first, observe how that person interacts with people just in the faith, in the church. Is there genuine love and submission to each other? Second, see if you can be in community with that person outside of a romantic relationship. See if you can sustain just a friendship as a brother or sister in the faith. Can you serve together? Can you be in prayer groups together? Can you study the word together? Can you be in community with each other? You know, our our brother uh, Deacon Joe shared the announcements, and I I think that's to uh, to his credit, you know, he and Sue, their, their story of how they grew up together, how they come into the faith, serve together, pray together, were in community first together. You know, these are just some good practical ways to see if your relationship could be more than brothers and sisters in Christ, but certainly not less than brothers or sisters in the faith. Or you just do what I do, did, right? You know, go on your first day, propose, get married right away. Uh, you know, do as I say, not as I act, right? But yeah, I think these are just really good ways to, to see, you know, is this person, right? Does, can, can I really be in community with this person? The second false dichotomy uh, is between submission and love. And here's what it says. Uh, Verse 22 says this, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And then, again, the commandment for the husbands are this, uh, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, often when this passage is taught, I think there's a heavy emphasis on the different roles and functions between wives and husbands. And so the emphasis is put on wives you have to submit and husbands you have to love. And I think what that usually results in is an unhealthy imbalance between practice and theory. Right, so what do I mean by that? Submission is done in real concrete ways, while love, we still fail to move outside the abstract and theoretical. And so while these two differences are emphasized, you know, wives submit, husbands love, you know, these things are, the differences are emphasized, but I think what happens is it results in a really unhealthy imbalance. I think we should view these two things, love and submission, as more alike than they are different. Submission and love are not mutually exclusive, but they're two sides of the same coin. 
You know, if we take the example of Jesus, you know, this is what it says. What is Jesus, what, who is Jesus? Mark 10, 45, it describes him as this. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life. So we find that there is a submission, a service that Christ has. But on the other hand, John 15, 13, right? As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, right? In our minds, we don't dichotomize the two. We don't say, well, you know, Jesus just served us or Jesus just loved us, right? What do we say? The two are the same, two sides of the same coin. Thing encapsulated really well in 1 John 3, 16, where it says this, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us. And so to love means to serve. It means to submit, and to submit means to love. So how a husband treats his wife and how a wife treats her husband shouldn't be all that different. You know, if you look at verses 26 to 27, you can see further that there's this blurring of lines between these, uh, these cultural gender uh, lines. If you look, verses 26 and 27, it says this, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. There's a New Testament professor by the name of Cynthia Long Westfall, uh, and she argues in a recent book, Paul and Gender, that what Jesus is described as doing here in Ephesians 5, what he's doing for the church washing, cleaning, presenting without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. These are actions that were normally attributed to who? To women, right? In this passage, there's somewhat of a role reversal going on where Jesus is tearing down cultural norms of gender identity. He's breaking these things down, and Jesus is doing what? He's doing that which a woman would normally do. Now, I want to be careful here because I know a lot of the language that I just used, a lot of the concepts that I've talked about, they have been hijacked by various ideological movements today. Uh, So, for example, um, you know, this is a bit of an offshoot, but I think it's relevant. You know, the, the, the transgender community, and I, and I want to be as sympathetic as possible, but the transgender community equates role reversal with sex reversal, right? And so what's purported is if you are a male and you're more inclined to stereotypical female things, right? Like, um, I don't know, like if you're a boy, and you like to play with dolls, if there's a bit of a role reversal, then they claim that that equates with sex reversal, gender reversal, right? That implies that you're actually a girl on the inside. You know, oddly, the transgender community claims to deconstruct gender norms, but they're actually reinforcing it. But, you know, when the Bible speaks of role reversal, in many cases it does. In many cases, Jesus takes on the role of a woman, a mother, right? And men are called to take on the role of women in many different cultural ways. As, as the scriptures break down these cultural gender norms, it does not imply a sex reversal. See, in his love for the church, 
What Jesus is willing to do is he's willing to do and serve and to give himself and to take on these role reversals. Jesus does what an average servant woman would be doing for her household and for her master. He washes, he cleans, he irons, he straightens out. Now, I can't imagine how powerfully this spoke to the women of the church in Paul's time, who spent most of the day doing these time-consuming, laborious tasks. In his love, what does Jesus do? He serves, and in his service, he displays his love. You know, friends, the point to be made is this. Wives are commanded to submit, to obey, while husbands are commanded to love. But in practice, these things shouldn't look all that different. See, the difference is one of emphasis, not of quality. Now, I'm not sure why uh, God in His wisdom makes this differentiation. I'm not sure why he stresses for women's submission and why he stresses for husband, why he emphasizes love. But if I were to guess, I think for men at least, and I'm going to generalize here, so please, please listen uh, graciously. But I think for men, I think the reason why God stresses love for men is because I think men have a higher tolerance for doing something even if their heart isn't in it. What I mean by this is, you know, our hearts and our affections, men, you know, could be totally detached from what we're doing, yet men will still do something out of sheer duty, habit, and tradition. To put it negatively, men are great fakers, or to put it, you know, rather sympathetically, men are really skilled in compartmentalizing. So if the, com- if the command was to submit, right, I think, at least for me, I can do that. I can do that every day without any issue. I can submit to my wife. I can do that mindlessly. I can do that bitterly. You know, I can do that without love. But the emphasis is love, right? So it's not just submit. Do what your wife tells you to do. Serve her, but sacrificially love her. So every day, the reminder that I have through Scripture is love your life, your, your wife. <laughs> love your wife. It's a bit of a Freudian slip there. But <laughs> love your wife, right? That's the command. Love your wife, right? Because if it was submit to her, I can just say, you know what? I'm doing that. While women on their other hand, I think women have a bit more integrity. They're more honest with themselves. That if their hearts aren't in it, it's a lot more evident. And so the emphasis, I think, for women is on submission. Because the truth is, there are many times your husband is unlovable. And if you judge your husband according to his daily or hourly performance, you're going to have a hard time submitting. And so I think God, in his wisdom, emphasizes our weak points. He calls us to love men. He emphasizes love, which should reflect in submission and service. And he emphasizes for the wives, submission, which should reflect 
and deeper sacrificial love. But again, these two are two sides of the same coin. So that's another dichotomy. And finally, the third, with the the short time that we have remaining, is this, uh, the, the false dichotomy between suffering and joy. You know, if you ask anyone, is marriage suffering or is it joy? You know, if you frame it that way, depending on who you ask, how long they've been married, who they're married to, what their dispositions are, they'll, you know, they'll answer it differently. Some people say, you know, marriage is all about suffering. It's all about bearing with the other person. It's all about just getting through it. While other people uh, will say, you know, marriage is all about joy. It's all about happiness and bliss. And usually people will say that are those who haven't gotten married yet. Right. You know, um, there's a recent book, um, Storm-Tossed Family, The Storm-Tossed Family by Russell Moore. And that's a book I really recommend. But in that book, Russell Moore, he makes the point that young people nowadays, because they have this idealized version of what marriage is, because they think marriage ought to be like heaven, right, because they have idealized it so much, they actually don't get married. Because they don't think they can live up to it or they can actually meet those expectations, Is marriage suffering or is it joy? Well, I think this, friends, this is a false dichotomy. If we look at verses 31 and 32, you know, Paul, he talks about marriage as being a a reflection of Christ and the church. He says, listen, this idea of marriage between husband and wife, this union is actually a reflection of what? Christ and the church. And if we use Christ and the church as any indication, is marriage about suffering Or is it about joy? I think the gospel reveals this false dichotomy. See, marriage, if we use the cross, is both an experience of bearing the cross and suffering for the other person, while at the same time, it's a foretaste of heaven. To think that marriage is just about suffering is wrong, and to think marriage is just about heaven and joy is wrong. But as we find in Hebrews 12, 2, it says this, Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of your faith, who, for the joy set before him, what did he do? He endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. Friends, is marriage suffering or is it joy? In many ways, it's both. It's suffering for the other person joyfully. You know, as we close, um, you know, I want to just make this final uh, point. You know, when it comes to marriage, right, the question that most of us have is who, right? Who should I marry, right? When it comes to marriage, we always think about, you know, what are the qualifications? Who is it that I'm looking for? But the Bible doesn't answer the question who, it actually answers the question why. Why should we get married? And the answer that it gives is probably different than the way that we or culture might answer it. Why should we get married? Usually our answer is because we want to be fulfilled. We want to be satisfied. We want to find the perfect person. But Scripture says no, that's not it. The why of we should get married is to actually find a lifelong brother and sister in Christ that we can walk to, we can walk with, we can serve with, we can love with forever. That we can find someone that we can't be selective with 
in terms of how we practice our faith. The why of marriage is so that our homes could be the church. That's the why. You know, you know, I, I know that oftentimes we view marriage as something that, you know, we, we enter into because we want to find fulfillment. We want to be complete. We want to be satisfied. You know, in the book of Ephesians, the word fulfill is used so many times, but it's never used of the husband or the wife. The word fulfill is found throughout Ephesians, and it talks about what God does. He fills all in all, who is the head of the church, God who fills us, right? And right before this passage, what does it say? Be filled with the Holy Spirit, right? And so according to Ephesians, our fulfillment is not found in our spouse, but it's found in who? It's found in the Godhead. And as we are fulfilled by Christ, we then move on to love and serve sacrificially and willingly, willingly one another. And so regardless of whatever situation you're in or what status you have, whether you're married, unmarried, whether you're widowed or divorced, whether you're single or in a lifelong partnership with someone, friends, the fulfillment of our life, of our soul, is not in our human marriage, but it's in the ultimate marriage of Christ and his people. Would you, this morning, find your satisfaction in that truth once again? Would you join me in prayer at this time? If we could uh, just spend a few minutes before we come to the Lord's table this morning. You know, many of our disappointments, our frustrations probably arise from our unmet desires and expectations of our spouse. You know, many of the anxiety or maybe uh, the sadness or depression that we have might result from not being able to find that perfect person, our feelings of, uh, our deflated feelings of failure and longing and waiting. But Scripture never tells us that our spouse is the answer. It never says that this human sinner, this brother and sister in the faith is going to be your answer. Now, Paul reminds us over and over, our fulfillment is in God who gives his son. Our fulfillment is in Christ who willingly lays down his life. And our fulfillment is in the spirit whom we should be filled with. And so, friends, Whatever it is that you're going through this morning and whatever status you're in, the reminder is that Jesus, he's our ultimate satisfaction. Would you find that in him this morning? Please take a few minutes to pray and reflect upon this truth.